in fitting in this episode, I am wearing a Asexual Park Rangers uniform, specially designed. It's quite awkward that I'm also wearing mine. I know. Only one of us can get the role, though. That's the thing. Whoever delivers the line best, I suppose. Indeed. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not saying it back. Hello and welcome to All The Way Through, episode three, the podcast which is diving into the Louis Theroux back catalogue to find out whether we love him as much as we did the first time round. This is Matthew DeMiles speaking. I'm joined by Alex Watson. Hello, Alex. Hello. Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, you are, you know, it's only me and you on this show. I know. I like to imagine, though, that you're welcoming me to the couch every week. Well, I am. Yes, indeed. The reason we're talking about Asexual Park Rangers is because this episode of the Louis Theroux uh, Weird Weekend series is investigating the world of porn and in particular the world of the male porn star and Louis is essentially venturing into this world to see whether he has what it takes to be a male porn star. I think that's fair enough to say? Yeah Um, and I'd say this is probably one of the most famous Weird Weekends episodes isn't it? It's the one that people always talk about. Yeah it's interesting because I think for me having watched it back the UFOs episode which we talked about last week feels like the really definitive word weekends it gave me everything i wanted from a weird weekends whereas this was slightly different but you're right this one is the one that people talk about the most i think probably because as louis says in the opener this is a little rude for the bbc and it is quite rude there's um there's a lot of full-on frontal nudity there's a lot of nudity including our host himself it must be said true but we'll get into that We start off in the San Fernando Valley, north of LA, immersing Louis into the world of male porn performers. This is the world capital of porn by Louis' definition. And I think it's because all the main major studios who are recording porn are all out in this region, essentially. So we join Louis in a red convertible. He's doing his classic Louis driving someone around somewhere. And he's gotten quite a flashy car for the occasion. Top down, he's got Susan Lonetti from Vivid Video in the car with him. Uh, and she's an, an a talent agent? Yeah, I think so. I think she's a booking agent for, for Vivid Video, which is uh, an agency that we touch on a few times throughout the documentary. So they're, they're chatting away and, and she talks about how this is like a real big time for the adult industry. Um, and she talks about there is four movies in the works about the adult industry at this point. One of which is probably Boogie Nights, which is kind of the definitive thing people think of when they think of the industry of male pornography, which came out later that year, uh, starring Marky Mark Wahlberg. But at this point, Louis is venturing into a world where there is no blueprint set by Boogie Nights. So it is very much kind of open territory. Whether he does it on purpose or not, he, he gets into things early. And he's already thinking about this when other people haven't quite got there yet. I always wonder what the inspirations are. I kind of found something, was digging around for this episode, and there is a, a New Yorker article, which I'll, I'll touch on a bit later. But there, there is occasionally kind of long read articles on these sorts of subjects. But it's really interesting to think how do they pick the subjects that they're just going to go after. Yeah. Especially because a lot of the time they don't seem to be too well planned in advance. Like he kind of goes to an area and then then bothers people into talking to him more than it's a kind of really set uh, group of interviews that kind of carry on. Yeah, it's, it's almost a little bit prophetic or something. So he's talking to Susan in the car and he asks her about getting into porn, uh, you know, if he were to get into that. 
And he says to her, it seems like the easiest job in the world. And Susan replies, it's not. And that kind of sets the tone for the entire episode, I'd say. They honestly could have finished the episode there and said, this is generally the subject because that's, that is kind of touched on again and again and again. Louis talking about how he wants to get into the adult industry and Susan asks him, how far do you want to go? And Louis replies, how far can I go hypothetically? I do think there's something in there because I think this episode does push Louis to his weird weekend limits in terms of how far will he ingratiate himself or embrace the role he is taking on for the weekend in order to get the story, essentially. I think he probably goes the furthest in this episode than he does in most of them. Well, yeah, I think possibly. But then he does in the first episode with the televangelists go out handing out leaflets and then join in with the prayers. True. Whereas... In the context of this, Louis does not join in with the uh, the final act, as it were. There's something about getting your kit off and letting a stranger take Polaroid pictures of you, though. There is something about that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, maybe this is the one where he goes as far, hypothetically, as he could have gone. But enough of that. We'll get to that. First, we have to go to the Vivid Video Studios and into the warehouse. The warehouse, which Louis dubs a cathedral of porn. Which is now probably just a teenager's hard drive somewhere. You know, I was thinking about this. There is so many videos. There is stacks and stacks of videos, which are now, you know, probably a tiny, minuscule part of the internet somewhere. It's like an Ikea warehouse full of porn videos. Do you think you have to go in and watch them all to get out the other end like you would in Ikea? <laughs> when you work there, do you think you have to watch them all just so you know the back catalogue? I think you have to know the back catalogue. Definitely. Imagine the induction into that role. <laughs> Could you read us some of the names of the videos? Louis spends quite a long time reading them out. Standing Room Only, uh, Girls With Boots, Jizz Tonic, uh, Ox Lunch, which I feel like I don't even really understand, Tung Fu, and then also Beef Eaters, which Louis comments is a national institution in Britain, so it would do very well in that market. Is Jizz Tonic meant to be gin and tonic? Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with yeah. I think <laughs> Am I showing my total naivety there? No, I think I think that's probably the case. We'll probably be corrected by someone listening to this and go, actually this is a some sort of devious sex move that we've never heard of. If there are any pornography experts listening, that would be I would love to hear from you. But only in a really uncreepy way. Once we've kind of gone through the Cathedral of Porn, Louis meets with a few other members of staff from Vivid Video, including Mo Bundy, who's a casting agent. And interestingly, all of the staff that we meet at Vivid Video are women. Yeah, kind of like middle-aged women as well. They're very sort of laid back. If they told you they worked in HR somewhere, you wouldn't bat an eyelid. They don't look like porn people. I don't know what porn people are meant to look like, but they do not look like it. Yeah, I think I was surprised that they were women. But then they reveal that they only have one vivid guy, only one male performer on the books. So maybe that does make sense because it's women dealing with women all the time. So they talk about or introduce Louis to John Doe for the first time, who I looked up and it's actually spelled D-O-U-G-H, which is kind of nicer than <laughs> D-O-E. <laughs> a dead body that can't be. Oh, is it a dead body or is it a, a someone in a witness protection? No, it's a dead body. With no name. All that time watching The Wire and I didn't learn anything. Do we see pictures of John Doe at this point? Yeah, we see kind of glossy uh, black and white shots of him, which obviously they hand out to producers of videos, I think. But he's got his clothes on. He's clothed, yeah, he's fully, fully clothed. And then he he shows up. 
to meet Louis. Yeah, we, we cut to a filming shoot with John Doe where he arrives on his motorbike and Louis's introduction is the words nice helmet, referring obviously to his motorbike helmet, uh, which does say one a bone. It does. It says lots of things. There's a lot of stickers on it. It's quite a, a look though that John Doe's got going on with his, his motorbike and his leathers and helmet and all that. Yeah, it's quite a 50s movie style sort of vibe. It's obviously very much cultivated. He seems quite grumpy. I think that's the first thing that you take from meeting him. Almost like he shouldn't have agreed to be in a TV show where he had to get interviewed all the time. No, this is it. And I think there's something about the male porn performers. They all seem a little bit off is the wrong word. More kind of socially distant, even when Louis is trying to ingratiate himself to them. They all seem quite guarded. Yeah, maybe a little bit haunted and troubled from the off. Um, So they... They go to the, the porn set or they go into the set and Louis there with John Doe just soaking up the atmosphere, talking to everyone in a very awkward manner while they're all trying to make porn. The plot of the film is, is interesting in itself. The porn involves a scene where cheerleaders enter into a locker room and one of them opens a locker to discover a cat that has been hung by the neck. That, that's all I could really take from the plot of this movie. I mean, maybe we can find it, find out what the plot was, purely just for the story, obviously. Yeah, purely for story reasons. Yeah, watch it for the articles. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's the scene you see, isn't it? You see the cheerleaders running in and the, and the dead cat is in the, the locker and they've all got very short skirts on, of course, necessary. Yeah. And then they go and have lunch after that. <laughs> yeah. And so then Louis kind of chatting more to John Doe and a few other people in the cast, including the director, whose name was Paul Thomas who gives Louis a little bit more information about how the porn industry works. And Louis starts asking a question about wood and fear and the theme of performance, which becomes the overarching theme on every porn set that Louis on. The concept of keeping wood, as in maintaining an erection, really seems to play on everybody's minds, probably because Louis keeps talking about it all the time. Yeah, he never stops asking people if they have wood. <laughs> I like to think that, that that was like a hang on after he'd finished this episode. <laughs> we just approach people <laughs> in the street. So it, it, he speaks more to John Doe and you're right, he comes across quite aggressively. Louis asking him about if uh, people underplay his job and, and think of it as a kind of ridiculous job to have. And John Doe talks about people kind of mocking him saying, oh yeah, you've got to go to work. And then Louis asks, does it bother you? And his reply is, it doesn't bother me. I just stay home more. Which says a lot about John Doe's kind of mental space at this point. Yeah, seems like a pretty lonely guy. Which is sad because he... Because what he... I don't know. Yeah, I'm not going to get too philosophical about it. But... No, please do. Come on, let's get into this. <laughs> I was just going to say it's sad because what, in theory, what he's doing as a job is, I guess, bringing people happiness in some ways or some kind of emotional connection or something. And then he just has to be sad at home. His job is all linked to dopamine, essentially. And yet he is a very kind of morose man. So once they've had lunch, they then go back to the set and it's a proper sex scene this time. I think they were just doing the build up before, you know, all the dead cats and stuff that's done. And Louis is there next to the director while he's trying to direct an actual sex scene asking, is this real? <laughs> and the director says, yes, please go away. <laughs> Yeah, Louis in the least whispered whisper of all time 
It's almost like Brian Blessed trying to whisper to you. It's just an impossible task. He is very loud. Um, and the director kind of, not loses his temper, but slightly asks, can we pick this up at a later point? So Louis goes away. Um, and while he's sort of trying to stay out of the way, he bumps into some female performers um, who he starts talking to, uh, younger women. And it turns out that one of them is from Northampton. Glamorous, glamorous Northampton. Uh, the jewel of the Midlands. And I can say that because I'm from the Midlands. When Louis asks, is porn different in the UK? She says, it's more violent, which is a bit horrible. Maybe we don't want to watch beef eaters then. <laughs> After Louis finished bothering the lady from Northampton, he spends some time discussing things with the main pe- female performer in the film that's being made. I don't know her name off the top of my head, do you? Yes, her name is Sharon Mitchell. So Sharon is older and I think cut her teeth in the 70s. She knows what she's doing. And Louis talking to her about the sort of mental health aspect of porn. And she says, it can screw you up to be in porn. And Louis says, well, you seem okay. And she replies, yeah, but I kicked the heroin. She says as well, I had to get screwed up to actually work um, and talk a bit more about how kind of male performers develop this glazed look in their eye the longer they go on. Which doesn't sound like something that uh, is conducive to good mental health. No. Interestingly, Sharon Mitchell doesn't come up again in the documentary, but has a very significant role in themes that are touched upon later. She is definitely a kind of key character in how the porn industry moved in the 90s and probably is someone that could have gave a lot more insight than maybe she was allowed in this kind of short clip. I suppose because it wasn't about the porn industry as a whole, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of more male porn stars, you're totally right. After we've spoken to Sharon... John Doe is talking to Louis again and Louis says that if he did porn, he would, uh, does he say he would buy himself a motorbike? Yeah, this this um, dialogue is more wooden than the porn industry as a whole. It is a very weird scene. It is. Louis says, if I did porn, I would buy myself a motorbike like yours, John. Maybe trying to make John feel relaxed enough. To, I don't know if he's trying to have some kind of connection with him. I'm not sure what's happening here. So weird. And... John Doe says, well, you could buy a motorbike with your first paycheck if you did porn, implying that there's a lot of money in it, which kind of really contradicts some stuff we find out later or we hear later. And then Louis asks John, do you think I could do porn? And John's response is the least convincing yes I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, this is all a very strange scene where it seems like John slightly detests being asked these questions, but also is willing i don't know whether john's just a natural cynic maybe this is just something he can't be do that kind of uh schmaltzy sort of uh yeah louis you can definitely make it without it sounding as slightly false yeah i mean maybe he could have just had quite a dry sense of humor you never know but he just looks like he really hates every second of being there yeah and then in my notes, I, the last thing I wrote about this scene was just hotbed of depression. There seems to be a lot of people <laughs> who were just very much struggling with this whole industry. You say that, but then this that actual segment ends with John Doe taking Louis for a ride on his motorbike, which is a little bit of joy, I think. Yeah, that's nice. It's a very nice touch. And then we head to another cheery place. Yeah to the world of World Modelling Agency, which is the agency which Louis is going to sign up with. And we kind of see the front of their door and their sign says, wanted figure models for immediate placement, which is the most euphemistic tone of the porn industry I've ever heard. 
the main takeaway I had that every time we're in the world modeling office, you hear people on the phone answering calls and saying, just to make sure you know, it is nude modeling. They need to change that sign out front. It's just not clear. <laughs> They're probably wasting a lot of time with calls. Figure models for immediate placement is not clear enough, guys. We need to change this. And I think in comparison to Vivid Video, which was a very female-oriented environment and seemed quite relaxed and not what I expected, world modelling is probably what I imagined a porn office would look like. Yeah, so the, the kind of main guy is Jim South, and he looks like a porn version of Johnny Cash. He's got this kind of like slicked black hair and slightly grizzled face. He's very friendly, must be said. He seems friendly, but he seems quite world-weary maybe not up for all of Louis's silly questions, one of which gets asked pretty early as soon as he gets to the World Modelling office, where there's a, a, a male performer there talking to Jim South, and Louis just sort of interjects to say... Can I, I look at it. your penis? <laughs> no. <laughs> Please? No. Why not? <laughs> the owner of the penis looks quite concerned with the whole thing. Yeah, the owner of the penis looks like a kind of porn version of Louis Theroux. He is an equally kind of geeky man. He says himself, it's the quiet, shy types that you've got to look out for. He kind of looks like a maths teacher or something. I wonder if it had been a slightly more hulky man, whether Lou would have chanced his arm this way. If it had been John Doe, would he have asked to see his penis? I don't think so. I don't think he would. It's a very. This is a very weird move by Louis, I think. So then once that poor man has been allowed to leave without having to get his, his genitals out for the BBC, um, they go spend more time in the world modelling office talking to a few people. And there's one, I think a maker of porn, a director, is that right? Yeah, he's, he's a, a director, former actor, and he's been in the industry for 30 years. Henri Pochard is his name. He really presents himself as quite a distinguished guy. He's, he's well-dressed. And again, he got that slick back hair. He's, he's sort of of a generation, same as Jim South. And he comes in and, and gives Louis some tips and some advice and talks about his career. And he comes out with a few strange things. My, the one I noted down, my favourite was, that there are fewer male performers than there are astronauts. I wasn't really sure how those two sort of lined up, but I liked it. I liked that it was a fact. And then it gets a little bit dark in their conversation when Louis says, have you seen anyone struggle with their mental health or, or with sort of working in porn? And Henri says he's seen people destroy themselves. We've almost sort of danced around it until this point in the episode. And that's the, the moment where it's like, OK, even though this guy is successful, he's made a lot of money. He's seen people destroy themselves in porn. Yeah. And then he ta he says to Louis, has it had any effect on you? He says, it's taken its toll. I've led myself into all sorts of chaos. It's lauded by Jim South as this distinguished performer, but it's also someone uh, like anyone else in an industry which is very susceptible to change and development and uh, could be finished within kind of a few years after this. Yeah. There's still this very sort of toxic masculine thing where even though Henri and Jim are, are agreeing that men struggle with their mental health in the porn industry they have this thing where they go yeah but you know if you're tough enough you'll make it it's like you've got to sort of man up yeah it's, 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 it's kind of like a rites of passage thing more than it is a hey this is a problem with our industry which maybe is how things would be discussed now it is very much a, yeah, you have to have the mental capacity to deal with how this industry treats you. Yeah and if you can't handle it then get out of the the pot kind of thing 
I originally wanted to speak to a psychologist about the effect working in porn has on the mental health of the performers. But while I was researching, I found something much more interesting, which is an organisation called Pineapple Support. They're a free support and therapy service for all people working in the online adult industry. I caught up with Leah Tannett, who is the founder and president of Pineapple Support and used to work in the adult industry herself, to ask her what the current state of mental health is in the adult industry and how much it's moved on since 1998 when Louis was filming this documentary. My name is Leah Tannett. I have been involved in the adult industry um, forever. I worked in a BDSM store when I was 16. At 18, I was a stripper. Then I used to run fetish parties. I was modeling for about the age of 28, 29, uh, professional dominatrix, uh, making movies and all that jazz. And then it was about two years ago, there were five well-known performers who the media picked up on that had taken their lives within the space of three months. This was the first that I'd kind of come across of the the state of the mental health in, in the adult industry. And when I say the state of the mental health, uh, the lack of resources is, is the actual problem. So I started researching what resources were out there. And there's, there's a number of organizations within the adult industry who provide talent testing, HIV testing and, and uh, STI testing, but no one that was actually focusing on mental health. That was what inspired me to, to start Pineapple Support, which is a nonprofit organization that provides stigma-free mental health care to performers and, and adult student professionals. So that includes from, um, producers, directors, and uh, we provide that on, on a global level. The episode was filmed in 1998, and it obviously crops back up again and again that it can mess a lot of people up working in the industry. Do you think it's better now and more talked about, or do you think that it's potentially just as bad? It's certainly more talked about. Um, the, the adult industry has, has changed uh, vastly. It's a much more accessible now. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you look at, um, at, at, at the episode um, and you had to go to an agent and get cast and audition and everything else, and now you can make a movie at home. You can, you know, do it with your partner. You can do it on live cam. You can start your own production company. So there are more and more people getting into the industry. I think, um, you know, you're still going to have the same issues where you know, gay for pay. Mm-hmm. Of course, of course, that's going to be difficult to to digest mentally. And you know, that that's still a big thing. It's, and and a lot of performers obviously do very very well from it. Um, but you know, I can only imagine when you first when you first start doing it, that's going to play havoc. We tend to find that people coming for support are suffering the same stresses as everyone else. It's a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, a lot of relationship problems. But because of the stigma attached to work in the adult industry, every everything is magnified. When you have a small a small problem, you can't go and just talk to somebody because they're going to blame it on your, on your job or they're not going to listen to you. You know, even, even therapists, you go and speak to a therapist as an adult industry performer and the therapist brings everything back to your work. Not everything's got to do with work. People who work in the industry who are enjoying themselves, who are making a lot of money, they're, they're successful, um, but they can't tell their family and they can't tell their friends. They can't tell the other parents at school what they do for a job. So they, 
they lie. You've got to make up a story. You've got to cover yourself. And then that gets very tiring. Lying gets very, very tiring and having to make up new stories. What did you get to, up to at work today? Oh, you said you do such and such. That's interesting. Tell me more. Oh, did such and such not say they were, they were a babysitter? How come they've got the latest Louis Vuitton handbag? And, you know, so then you've got to start hiding where you're spending your money. So if a bank finds out that you are a porn star, they will close down your account. The majority of them in the US. You're paying your taxes, you're doing a job that's legal. But if they find out what you do for a living, they'll close your account down. If you are in an Uber and the Uber driver suspects you're a sex worker, they are told to report you. Airbnb. If the Airbnb find out that you're a sex worker, you are banned from Airbnb. You're doing a job that society, for some, you know, seems to look down upon. You just, you hear it again and again and again. And if, you, if you're having any kind of self-esteem issues, which is very easy when you're constantly naked in front of a lot of people mm-hmm. and you're constantly being judged, and then you go to see a therapist and the therapist tells you it's because of your job, just mind-blowing how it can cause somebody to spiral. Do you think that men and women experience it differently or is it quite a similar thought process? It's probably a very, very similar thought process. You have the, the immediate the guy says they're in porn and it's like, way cool, go on, bro. But I think that's just the surface level. You know, as soon as you actually start trying to get into any kind of serious relationship, and I, I don't mean just romantically, but, you know, with, with friends or whatever, then it, that's, it's still going to be a, a reoccurring theme. Do you think it's harder for men to talk about it still because of the sort of male... Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, was, uh, suicide is the, is the biggest killer of men under the age of 40. We, we find with our therapy requests that we receive that it's currently uh, about 65% female. Would you say that with the right mental health support, is it possible to maintain your mental health and your self-esteem and, and still work in the adult industry for a long time? Or do you think that it always kind of takes a toll Absolutely. It's an incredible industry. And if you surround yourself with a great support network and a great group of friends, you will do so, so well in the industry. It's, it's, it's fantastic. And, you know, having a therapist while working in the adult industry is always a huge bonus. Even if you, you don't feel like you're struggling so much, it's great to be able to talk to somebody about your day at work or the story you had to tell the other mums at school or you know whatever it's it's great to have that that person you can talk um candidly to did you yeah. ever kind of experience any of that dark side yourself in terms of I, your your own mental health I didn't experience any of that side of the industry but I worked in the fetish side of the industry as well which is very different it's very niche it's very alternative it's a group of kind of kinky folks that make movies together and and hang out together and and it's a very tight-knit family the mainstream side of the industry is cutthroat do you think it was too light-hearted the way that louis sort of did the polaroids and flirted with the the pretense of doing porn no no not at all <laughs> i quite like that i like that, that how, how how we normalized it mm-hmm. all right i'll get my clothes off all right then i'll do that all right yeah. No, I quite, I quite liked that rather than going, oh, God, oh, it was like, eh, get, let's get naked. Let's get it out. Let's give it a try. Why not? That's how people in the industry are. When I used to go to on set, all right, time to get naked. And we'd all just go, all right, then. 
Louis meets a few more people. Was there anyone that particularly stuck out for you when he's kind of touring the World Modeling Agency studios? Yeah, so there's a few women that he speaks to who are performers that are in the office. <laughs> Probably the most awkward Louis Theroux interview segment I've seen where the women just will not make eye contact with him at all. <laughs> uh, they're just face on to the camera, but just like sort of looking away. It's really strange. But he asked them, what do you want in a male performer with someone that you're working with in a scene one of them says if you're hard you're wonderful i don't care about anything else um and they agree on that until eventually louis sort of pushes them to say that maybe they'd make the guy brush his teeth but again the the currency of of keeping wood that is the main thing and it's a lot of pressure if, if everyone's just saying that to you yeah definitely the kind of interchangeable nature of these performers as well no one is really watching it for the male performer and so if one drops out, someone completely different could fill in. This is not really important at all. Something that I wrote down because I was totally blown away by it was there was a female performer who had come back to porn because she said that it was the quickest, easiest way to make money. And she said she could make ten to $15,000 in two weeks doing porn. We then later talk about how much the men make and it is so much less than that. It's absolutely staggering. Then Louis kind of sits down with a guy called Steve who works with Jim South and it fills out the application to be on the World Modeling Agency books. The guy kind of lays out a few home truths for him. Uh, he says, the girls always make more than the guys. Uh, you make 200 to $350 per shoot. And if you don't come, you don't get paid. So let's do some maths. So say maximum $300 a shoot. How many do you think you could do in a week? Four? Yeah, okay, let's say four. Okay. And then times that by two. So the maximum you're going to make is about two and a half grand in two weeks. Whereas that lady's making up to 15K, apparently. Wow. And that's if you're making four a week. Yeah. So Yikes. A lot of exercise, a lot of hydration needed for that. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. So they talk about the fact that if you don't come, you don't get paid. And also then they have to bring in the stunt cock, the scene fixer, if you cannot finish the job, essentially, which sounds like the porn version of Winston Wolf from Pulp Fiction. I'm interested about the stunt cock because are they already on set? Are they on call? Is it like an emergency job? I imagine there's some sort of emergency service style ambulance or fire engine which they can arrive in. I want flashing lights. I want sirens. I want them being rushed through San Fernando to get to failing porn scenes to kind of sort things out. What if the stunt cock fails? Then you get the stunt stunt cock in and then it continues forever. Louis kind of asking, have you seen people who've not been able to perform? And Steve says, yeah, it happens to loads of people. You don't even feel like a man. Again, we can touch on the phrase toxic masculinity. It is dripping from the walls in the World Modelling Agency. Provided it can, yeah, get to that point, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. God, I really hope my mum isn't listening to this. After their chat, of course, then comes the, the pivotal scene of the episode where Louis gets his Polaroids taken. To join the World Modelling Agency books, he has to pose completely naked for a polaroid he gets into it doesn't he yeah he starts to shake around which kind of puts steve off yeah steve makes some quite homophobic comments actually at that point and louis asks him to say sexy things while he continues to shake his hips which shows that you know louis is very much willing to go 
to certain lengths in this. I think we do find Louis' limit a little bit later on, but for a, a BBC documentary filmmaker to get completely stripped off in front of a Polaroid camera is something. Yeah, absolutely. So he's done the Polaroids. He's on his way to potentially getting cast in a porn film, I suppose. He's on the books. So to, I guess to get some more advice, Louis goes to visit another porn performer, a guy called JJ, who's an up-and-coming actor. He's quite young. Younger than John Doe, I would say. And looks very young. Looks about 12, to be honest. Yeah, and he's dressed like a toddler. He has like this kind of stripy polo shirt on, some very ill-fitting jeans. He looks like an early learning centre sort of job. Probably doesn't help that when he and Louis meet, they spend a little while playing with JJ's model toy dinosaurs as well. But interestingly, JJ is ex-Air Force, so he obviously is uh, is not a child, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is good to know. So yeah, they, they kind of discuss JJ's career. He's very new into the industry. He had recently filmed Anal Witness 4, which Louis is, is very obsessed with and asks him to repeat on, on several occasions. He does. Does he talk about the first three Anal Witnesses as well? Yeah, I think they touch on the three Anal Witnesses. I think where we got the, the four films in a week number from was that JJ has already done 13 films and he's been filming four a week. So in order to kind of uh, get to know JJ a bit better, uh, Louis does the classic Louis move, which is do something quite innocuous with a interviewee to, to kind of win their trust. In this case, they go to the gym to pump some iron because this is the toxic masculine vibe. Yeah, and I guess JJ's got to stay looking buff, you know, for the role. Absolutely, yeah. One of my notes says Louis on the treadmill in tiny red shorts. He wears some very, very small shorts in this scene. He's very tall. Maybe he struggles. I feel like you can probably commiserate with oh, that. Oh, yeah, I can totally relate. And also wanted the shorts. This is not me dissing them. <laughs> I'm asking for them. I want to know who he got them from. So they do some cardio and then they do some weights, don't they? And Louis kind of, or they're kind of spotting each other on the weights, you know, like bros do at the gym. Yeah. And they get chatting about the actual content of the films that JJ's been making. And he is sort of quick to tell Louis that he doesn't do freakish movies. He's not into that. That's the word. And then when Louis asks, what do you mean by that? He says, transvestites, overweight people and old people. I feel like this man needs a, a quick tour of the Vivid Video Studios warehouse to see that there is far more out there than old people and overweight people, essentially. Also, Anal Witness 4 doesn't sound totally vanilla to me, but hey. He also reveals that he's done double penetration, which uh, Louis is really shocked by, and I think maybe kind of reveals a little bit of his own innocence there. Or maybe he's doing that on purpose, I'm not sure. There is some kind of clever camera work in this scene as well. JJ is pictured lifting a slightly phallic-looking weight while talking about the importance of keeping wood and again, this is a subject that they talk about at, at great length, which Louis is kind of setting the poison in JJ's mind that this may not happen for him every time. Yeah, because I think JJ kind of is saying, well, I've not really had a problem with that. And he's aware of it, but he's not really had a problem. And Louis is like, all right, okay, yeah, good, good. Don't Definitely don't, don't obsess over it or anything. Oh, don't mind me then. I, I won't mention it again. I guess the next time they meet is on the set of one of JJ's films. Louis kind of asks, uh, can I come to the set to see you work? And JJ reluctantly agrees. I don't think he's too keen on the idea. And probably for good reason, it turns out. I don't think we get told the title of this film. We don't really get told what the basis is, but we just kind of 
should spitball and decide, I think, ourselves what the plot was. JJ is dressed in kind of scrubs and a, and a lab coat, which de- definitely put me down some sort of hospital drama vibe. But then when you see them all, all the performers together, they're all running lines. It's, it's quite like line intensive and they're in this sort of laboratory set up, I think. And it's almost got, I don't know, sci-fi space elements to it as well. I think they were looking for a sci-fi set and it was probably booked. So they ended up with the hospital set and just went with it anyway. We meet JJ backstage and he's clearly quite nervous and Louis is slightly exacerbating this. He's asking him, have you got wood yet? Which at this stage, I think it would really be socially unacceptable for JJ to (laughs) to have wood. I think he might pass out from the lack of blood flow anywhere else. (laughs) He tells Louis, not yet, don't need that yet. And Louis's like, all right, okay, cool, cool. All right, cool, but remember you need this and it's really important. <laughs> don't let anyone down. So he kind of backs off, I guess. Louis kind of lets JJ get on and he ends up speaking to one of the female performers' husbands who is there on set to support his wife. And it's interesting because Louis kind of says to the guy, how do you compartmentalize this? Like, is this okay? Are you jealous? And the guy says, no, you know, this is work. She's doing her job. It's fine. Yeah, he doesn't seem too phased. I suppose it's it's the only slight odd thing is having your your uh, significant other turn up to with you at work. I don't know if you you were just calling people at work and having your your husband watch you. It would be quite weird to just yeah, like it'd be like bringing your child to work day. Like, what are they doing there? They just sat there. Can we just clarify that no porn star brings their child to work in this, <laughs> in this documentary? That's a different yeah. documentary. Louis asks this husband what his opinion is of actors who can't keep wood on set and the guy gives the the vaguest answer he says that if his wife is working with an actor who can't keep wood the first time it's fine and the second time it's fine Uh, but maybe the third time she'll think about not working with him again if it happens again you have to have those strict rules in place, obviously. I think what he was maybe thinking was, I'm not going to accidentally drop my wife in it and make it that some porn director sees this and she doesn't get a job. The next thing we kind of see is just loads of shots of the scenes taking place. You see a full vagina. I rewound to check. I was so shocked. I'll be honest, I, I missed this. Was it fleeting or was it... It wasn't blink and you'll miss it. It was like blink twice and you'll miss it. Okay. I think up until that point, because it's the BBC, all of the genitalia had been blurred. And then this is a full-on sex scene. Someone moves out the way and you just get full-on vagina. This is a little rude for the BBC, as Louis once said. But then between shots of vaginas, we see the massive amount of people who are on this set. There's kind of camera people, sound people, directors, porn stars, husbands, Louis and his team. There is so many people on this set. Yeah. And you don't think that, I mean, (laughs) why would you? But you don't think that if you ever happen to watch porn for educational purposes. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're not thinking about the team around it, I suppose. So it's a big production. It's quite a respected director as well, isn't it? They touch on that. Yeah, the guy is called Shanahan, obviously his last name, and I think JJ is keen to impress him. Which is unfortunate. (laughs) In one of the most heavily foreshadowed things of all time, JJ can't perform. He has some issues with wood. It's almost as if Louis thought, this documentary would work better if someone can't perform at some point. And if I poison JJ's mind, this may be the case. They put a lot of time into it and they really try to get there and it doesn't happen the director's getting frustrated, the crew are getting frustrated, 
and Louis asks the director. How was it? Uh, about an hour and a half too long. <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. Was it slow? Woodless wonders. <laughs> Don't say that. Isn't that a bit harsh? Uh, life's harsh. The porn industry is cruel. It is very, very cruel. I think we can say that. Yeah. So I guess, did they bring in the stunt cock? No, because I think Louis then meets JJ backstage after and interviews him in a, a sort of match of the day um, fashion. <laughs> how, how do you think your performance went this evening? What will you do differently next time? Just keep my head down and get on with the work. Um, JJ kind of talks about how he, he struggled at first and it, it finally ended up working for him. And Louis is talking to him about the stress and pressure and, and JJ's kind of body language at this point about being rushed from scene to scene and, and being asked to perform straight away without being asked, okay, are you ready to go? Shows that this is not going to be a, a long-standing career or, or you wouldn't think so at this point. There's a, a bit of chat outside the studio as well where one of the female performers, I think it's the wife of the man who was on set just hanging out, um, talks about the risk of HIV, which also becomes quite a big theme in the documentary. Yeah, she says there has been seven inconclusives and two positive tests at this point. In a week or less than a week. So there is a New York Times article called Pornography and AIDS, A History, in which the journalist talks about the fact that there was this massive scare. And Sharon Mitchell, who was the actress that we saw in the former scene, was asked to essentially investigate who the patient zero was in the industry because she was a former actress with a doctorate in human sexuality and training in taking blood samples. So she kind of then, in her work, figured out that all the eight women that had been kind of diagnosed by this point had all done a sex scene with this one actor named Mark Wallace, someone who she herself had once worked with. And then it says, Dr. Mitchell said she got one of Mr. Wallace's producers to entice him to his office with an offer of $10,000. And then this is what she says. And then we kind of kidnapped him and I took his blood. Sharon's a vampire. Sharon's a vampire, but also a detective. This is incredible. And she says it came back with a very high viral load. And then they kind of did a news conference where she named him as the the patient zero in the industry. Crazy that Sharon did all that. I assume it's after this film was made. I hope so, because I, I would really hope that Louis would have probably talked to her about this if he'd had a chance, because yeah. it's so interesting. I don't think we actually have said this at this point, but it is established in this episode that it is a rule in the industry that you have to have a clear HIV AIDS test before you're allowed to go on set to appear in a film. And Louis gets told that when he's applying to work at the agency as well. So that's what the reference to these two positives in less than a week is, that there have been people who haven't had their tests come out clear. And Louis asked JJ... What do you reckon, JJ? Are you, you worried about these tests? No. I have a death wish, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> he is partly joking, but also this is quite a concerning uh, joke from JJ. Especially since the female performer, in contrast to this, says, I might not even last a week here. I might end up quitting because it's so much of a risk. Again, this is a slightly uh, detached sense of humour that these kind of male porn stars seem to have, very similar to John Doe. We move from uh, our kind of slightly strange space uh, slash hospital unit to the snowy mountains where we are filming Snowbound, which is a gay porn. And we're with Troy Halston, is that right? Halston? Yeah who Louis gets a ride with up to the mountains, properly in location in this cabin that they're filming this gay porn 
filming. And on the way there, Troy tells Louis that he is gay for pay. So he identifies as a straight man, but he will do gay porn for money because I, I think pay is better than straight porn. Troy says he doesn't like to do pretty much any gay sex acts, but he does do them. And then they run lines together for the film. This is the comic relief we all needed at this point after it got quite dark before. Troy is declaring his love again and again. He's not a natural dialogue performer. No, this is not what he's in the industry for, judging by his I love you, which he delivers exactly the same several times over. I love you. Come on, put some feeling into it. I love you. Oh, come on. Say with some feeling. I don't even know you. (laughs) (laughs) That's acting. I love you. You're giving the same read every time. So Louis kind of introducing himself to everyone and then he talks to one of the producers of Snowbound who says that it's been a difficult start to the shoot and what has made it difficult again is wood. And actually they say because in gay porn there is more wood to be concerned with. That's true. It's just statistical fact. It's wood squared. It, it becomes even more difficult. Louis is cast in a role in the film, which is why we're wearing our ranger costumes right now, circling back. He appears as a cameo as a park ranger who comes in to let the characters in the porn film know that there have been... Is it some inmates from a prison have escaped? Absolutely, yes, this is it. And he's just letting them know. Key things about the ranger that are established. He's asexual. He asks what sexuality is the ranger. The ranger is an asexual ranger. The costume looks like something from a Wes Anderson film more than it does a a 90s gay porn film. And Louis kind of runs through his lines, trying out a southern drawl. Good evening, fellas. I'm just warning everybody. Delivering it in his own British accent. Good evening, fellas. I'm just warning everybody. And delivering it again and again. He's quite nervous about it. He is clearly nervous, but clearly loving this. And his line is meant to start, Good evening, fellas. I'm just warning everybody. So then we cut to the set where Louis is live in his full part ranger outfit. And he walks through the door and says, Evening, gentlemen. I'm just out telling everyone to be on the lookout. (laughs) So yeah, what was he saying to Troy about being crap at delivering dialogue? He couldn't even get through the first line. But I love that when he's finally done it, he kind of looks to the director like, do you want that again? Should I? Do you have any notes for me? And the guy's just like, nope, that's good. <laughs> Please go away. Bill, what? was I okay? You were fine. You sure? You were great. I, just, I, didn't, I didn't screw it up. You were fine. Once Louis had his fun, he goes back to the seriousness. He has a moment where he speaks to Troy, who's just about to do his sex scene. He's like, he's tucking into a sandwich, like literally moments before he's meant to be having gay sex in the shower. And Louis is just, by his presence, seems to be annoying Troy. She would be nervous. It's like stage fright. Yeah, totally. And I think the last thing you'd want there is somebody constantly asking you how you're feeling. So I guess they, they kind of let the guys get on with it. And then Louis speaks to the director outside and the director says it's usually a cardinal sin to put two straight guys together, which is the case in this instance. And then he talks a bit more about what he describes as psycho straight boys. And he says, you see people explode, commit suicide or go off and live in Idaho. No offence to anyone in Idaho. <laughs> but it's just interesting, this, this kind of strange sort of gallows humour, which kind of exists throughout these porn sets. 
It feels they're on this sort of tense line between it being funny and it not being funny. It turns out that Troy really struggles to get the money shot in his scene. Louis strikes again. Yeah, Louis's gotten into his head. But the good news is that Troy just made $1,500 in three hours. This kind of end scene is is um, very tabloid hack Louis, I, I, I think. And I don't think this is something he would have necessarily done later in his career. Louis says, when I first met you, I thought, can he really be straight if he's doing gay movies? But it took you so long to finish that scene. I'm starting to think you probably are straight. And Troy can't help but bite. He gets obviously quite annoyed with this. Which I think anyone would really. So he talks about the fact that he had to use magazines to finish the scene. And they were images of women. Um, And he talks again, like you said, about how much money he's made from a few hours work and then he asks louis how long would it take you to make that which you feel is probably like troy's go-to line when he meets members of the public but when speaking to a bbc journalist it probably doesn't quite work the same way it's a very toxic scene louis's remark is purposely provocative yeah I, i do think you're right i think it's probably one of the rare times when he's quite mean in a way he knows what reaction he's gonna get but then after we, we leave Troy to go skiing, we meet probably the most mad character in the episode who is maybe who I imagine when I think of like a, a porn mogul in America. A guy called Rob Black, who is 23 years old. He's 23. 23. Hard paper round. He does not look 23. I have written in my notes... Definitely takes a lot of coke, right? (laughs) (laughs) I will not slander Rob Black's name. But he is, yeah, clearly a quite eccentric character and someone who is looking to push the porn industry in a particular way. So Rob makes or produces porn films and he's carved out a little niche for himself, but he's very different to what everyone else is doing at the moment and they're very controversial. The one that he's working on or beginning to work on when Louis turns up is called Forced Entry. Force entry later becomes the subject of a legal battle about how far you can kind of push the porn industry in terms of what you can depict through film, with the nature of this obviously being uh, subjects around rape. But I think Rob um, Black talks about that to Louis. Like, he fully knows what he's doing. Yeah, he totally does. He shows off a poster of, of his work and includes two performers who are clearly in blackface, which I can now not ever unsee from my mind. And talks about a film called Sodomania 7, which he made, which he likens to the first Rocky film in terms of its uh, emotional impact. And yet it took seven to get there. So yeah. he's not a very likable guy, I have to say. But Rob is really keen for him to do porn. He says uh, that would be big time if Louis would do it. Yeah, he talks about the fact that if Louis got involved, this would really make his documentary. And he does kind of have a point. If Louis was true to this gonzo journalism style that he obviously has in these early episodes, maybe he would have done it. Is that too much to ask from Louis? I think what Louis said was, it will end up on the internet. Even at this early stage of the internet in 1998, he's already aware, if I do anything, that's never going away. I think we found Louis's limit. He will not go in the scene. He says it wouldn't fly, not on BBC Two. But he agrees to go to the shoot. And they're going to go and see how the how forced entry goes down in the, the making. So they go to Yonnyville, I think, is what it's called, where Rob's shoot is taking place. 
the set looks like something from a horror movie. There's like abandoned cars. There's no one around. It's this kind of weird, desolate kind of deserty place. JJ is meant to be appearing in this film, which is why we're here. But he couldn't get his HIV test back in time. So there's a performer called Dick Nasty. He's an older, balding Australian man. He's pretty much the opposite of JJ. Yeah, which again, it gets to my point that male performers in these things are so interchangeable that it does not matter who turns up as long as they can get wood and they have a clean blood test. We watch some of the setup for the film. Dick is, is sitting around with a, a cast on his arm and then um, he's struggling to get boxes into his car and then a woman offers to help and then he throws her in the back of his car. Which is, I think, the Ted Bundy modus operandi, isn't it? It is, yeah. And I also noticed that. <laughs> when they're actually in the, the sort of horror room, there are a few things that Rob points out. Like, they can't actually bind the actress's hands and feet together because then that is technically rape or it's it's some kind of kidnapping because she wouldn't be able to get away if she wanted to. There seem to be so many grey areas at this and Rob just does not care. He's just like, whatever, man, we're having fun. It's not illegal. And they cut to a lot of Louis's face looking more and more concerned as this goes on. Basically, eventually, he just says, I'm out. I felt I had seen enough, he says, and leaves the set. Is there an appetite for it, though, if Rob thinks it should be made? Well, this is it. The the niches exist. And I, I think Rob's kind of template of where the industry would go turned out to be probably true. We leave Yonnyville and we and we head to the local mall for a lemonade with JJ. So wholesome. Really wholesome with toddler JJ. They get a large and a medium because JJ's little. Do they? That's so cute. <laughs> Louis asks about the HIV tests and the fact that JJ has lots of unprotected sex and JJ's response is, I don't think about it. I assume I'm safe, which is not exactly wise. Yeah, and he says that he really likes working in porn. I think Louis probably trying to delve a bit deeper and get him to admit that maybe he is quite troubled or a bit lost, but no, he insists that he likes it. He does open up, though, and he says that for most of his life, he's felt like an outcast or, or quite disliked. And on a porn set, he feels like he's appreciated and that's that's sort of his place in the world. He says, I feel they give a damn about you, whereas in the military and he's the ex-Air Force, you know they don't give a damn about you. But I do wonder how much they give a damn about you in the porn industry from what we've seen. Why exactly? Male stars seem to be totally interchangeable, paid less and are judged on one thing and one thing alone. And then if you don't have that thing, they just get someone else. In his kind of narration after he he's talking to JJ, Louis ponders whether all performers in this industry are wounded by mainstream society and have taken refuge in the porn subculture, which in terms of JJ, John Doe and... We, we don't really know about Troy, but that kind of does feel like there could be an element of truth there. So before we kind of wrap up completely, there is the return to World Modeling Agency to see Jim South one more time. And Louis basically just going to get his Polaroids, of which there are many. For some reason, the first time I watched this episode, I thought there was one single Polaroid. And there are at least like five. And he goes back to get the ones that they've got at World Modeling. And he says to Jim, So I'm taking off, so I thought I'd take my photo with, with me so that when I become a star, you don't sell it or put it on the internet. <laughs> Which is incredible foresight, really. It is, yeah. <laughs> um, although we could just take a little screenshot of the, uh, you know, of the 
the episode. I mean, I don't think he could have predicted iPlayer. <laughs> Louis says to Jim, I didn't really want to be a porn star. It's a gimmick that I use to understand when I report the story, which is definitely lifting the lid a little bit on, on what Louis' kind of process is. But it's also his version of being a little bit defensive. Like it's his version of saying, well, I, I, I do gay porn, but I'm straight. It's him going, well, yeah, I did the naked Polaroid, but it was only for work. There's a nice little bit of comic relief at the end of the episode where there's cuts of Louis showing everyone that he meets in the episode his Polaroids, which is quite funny. Which is funny and also shows that he spent a little bit more time with everyone than you probably see on camera, which is is, is um, it's kind of nice to be reminded of because I think obviously the way things ended with Troy and um, how annoyed John Doe seemed to get with him. These scenes show that actually there was a little bit more time spent and maybe they did develop a rapport. Yeah, yeah, because John Doe seems quite relaxed. This is probably the happiest and most normal you see him. And he's laughing at the picture and he asks if he can keep it. <laughs> it's all all right in the end, I think, was the message of that final scene. So, yeah, that was it. Um, lots of strong themes, I think. Uh, that are still really relevant today, even though, like you were saying, the porn industry has changed a lot and it's probably a lot more like Rob Black's vision of it than Jim South. Yeah, definitely so. But maybe the, the issues of mental health have been, you'd hope, slightly more uh, properly addressed in that time. Yeah. And I do now know that um, in some states in America, you can't have unprotected sex in porn. So I guess a lot of that will have come out of Sharon Mitchell's work and the, the HIV AIDS stuff. I guess we need to decide if it's good Louis or bad Louis. Initially, I was struck by how much this episode makes me feel sad. and I was quite depressing in terms of the industry it showed. And I do think that is a fair reflection of where the industry was. Is it what I went, I always want from Weird Weekends? Probably not. But I think there's enough humour, Louis sitting on the back of motorbikes, um, showing people his naked Polaroid, that I'm going to say this is good, Louis. I agree. I think it is. it brings together the best of Weird Weekends and the best of his later work, where... We, I rewatched it and I was still thinking about it a couple of days later. And I think, like we we said, he sort of reaches a point where you start to almost dislike it, Louis, when he's being a bit a bit pushy, and then he pulls it back. So yeah, I think good Louis. It stands out like this. This is one of the episodes, and it's not just because it's about porn, which you know everyone will giggle and be like, "Ha ha, porn!" There's a vagina in it. It's because it there's a lot to it. There definitely is. I think it, it takes the subject and it gives it due diligence. It, this could have easily been a very funny, very silly documentary. It could have gone down that kind of slightly slightly Benny Hill carry on route, but it, it really doesn't. And it, it touches on some serious issues while also having some comic relief throughout. Yeah, and I think that's necessary in life, as we were saying. No matter that how dark it is, you kind of just need to laugh sometimes. Maybe we should all have naked Polaroids that we flash around. I don't think that's a good idea. No, I don't think that's the message we should take away from this. As always, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with us, give us any feedback, say hello. You can find us at Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Angels on your body.